0: Hello and welcome to In Good Company on NTS Radio with me, Atega Uagba. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the founder of Women Who, which is a London-based community for creative working women i'm also the author of little black book which is a modern career guide for you guessed it working women and you can find that in pretty much every bookshop out there or on amazon this podcast is all about providing you with the practical advice and fresh ideas that'll help you work better but i'm not going to be doing that on my own hence the name of the podcast along the way i'll be quizzing the smart successful creative women i know about their careers and sharing some advice on how you can take control of yours on today's episode i'm going to be talking to Serene again is the founder and CEO of Suitcase, which is a multimedia travel brand probably best known for its travel and fashion-inspired quarterly magazine, Suitcase. It's kind of hard to know where to begin when listing Serena's accomplishments. I could start by telling you that she's been described as the Mark Zuckerberg of publishing by Bloomberg, or perhaps by telling you that she's only 27 years old, which I think makes her the world's youngest magazine owner. Or maybe I'll just lead with the fact that she actually started Suitcase Magazine whilst she was still a student, as you'll hear somehow juggling launching a magazine with her third year as an undergrad at NYU, which kind of puts my student antics to shame. (laughs) I've known Serena since suitcase started, so I've had a front row seat to its amazing journey and seen it grow from that very first issue into a fully fledged travel platform with a print magazine that's distributed in over 50 countries, a super slick website and app, and more recently, a separate agency arm that creates content and design for different brands. Still, Being the boss of a travel magazine isn't all jet-setting and incredible Instagrams, although there is plenty of that if you follow Serena on Instagram. It's taken a lot of hard work to build Suitcase into what it is now and over the course of our conversation you'll hear us talk about everything from her approach to managing and developing a team to how to cut through in what is a very crowded category and of course how she gets it all done. Hope you enjoy! Hi Serena, welcome to In Good Company. It's so nice to have you here with us. Um, I'm just going to jump straight into it and start off by asking you to explain, sort of in your own words, what Suitcase is and why you started it.
1: Sure, so Suitcase is a magazine and a media agency now as of this year. And I guess I started it because I wanted to, to create some kind of toolkit for people to be able to travel the world better. I felt that everyone was traveling more and more but travel content in general had just gone down the drain a little bit It was just terrible and at the time I was living in Paris or studying I was in my third year of university and I had to rely on other travel sources to do things and you know there's only so many times so I'm going to go to the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Uh, After that, you kind of want to get a little bit deeper and more involved in the culture. So I wanted to cater to that audience who's a modern traveller and was really looking for, it sounds so cheesy, but authentic experiences in the places they're travelling to. I definitely agree. I know that the word
0: authentic kind of tends to get overused a lot these days. It's quite buzzwordy, but I do think that Suitcase really does that. It's very much like off the beaten path, but it's still... And no, it's still like, accessible and it's still exactly. interesting. It's not just like the same old places. That yeah, you and
1: we try and make it creative and exciting. Like really focus on the photography, which a lot of travel magazines don't really take the time to do. Yeah,
0: there's also like a fashion element to suitcase. Why mm-hmm. did you decide to incorporate that? Um, in so things? I wanted so to different. incorporate
1: fashion because I thought it was a quite an easy access point for cultures around the world, and then also again it added an element of creativity to the travel, mm-hmm. because travel's so cool and amazing in itself, but the way it was being portrayed, I felt like it needed something fresh to add to it. And I thought that fashion did that.
0: Just kind of going right back to the start and like really like nitty gritty of how you actually got mm-hmm. suitcase off the ground. Because obviously I kind of knew you at the time or like, you know, you and I have friends in common. So I've seen it right from that very first um, issue launch, which yeah. is really cool. How like how did you spread the word about suitcase when you first got it off the ground?
1: Um, So, God, when I first started it, I suppose... I didn't really know anyone in the industry so I had to just talk to everybody. I think I was annoying everyone, even people sitting next to me on the train.
0: Oh my God, I can't <laughs> imagine this.
1: Um and then I was using guerrilla tactics so when I first launched um well just before launch I I asked all my friends to put on Facebook their cover photo and their profile picture all their profile picture as suitcase (laughs) and I think I managed to get about 50 people to do it and then and then another friend who's working on suitcase got another 50 friends to do it and combined like viewership of that must have been like thousands of people so it was it was free it didn't cost us anything but it was kind of great marketing at the time hour
0: of word of mouth i remember seeing i think that's how i first became aware of it because like quite a few friends all of a sudden they're like say stasis were about ck's which is really really cool but then how did you go about getting backing from because i always kind of think of starting a magazine as something that like the kind of magazine that you've created which is quite a premium offering it's not necessarily like a diy kind of zine i think of that as having quite like high barriers to Mm -hmm. entry if that makes sense so like in terms of like getting like stockists and advertisers on board, like how did you go about doing that?
1: Um, I kind of blagged it. I, I was literally googling what to do, but I, I think in terms of people starting one now, um, social media offers a lot more flexibility and and options when it comes to content. So yeah. I often say to people that the best way to start a magazine is to start maybe online um but to start with even just an instagram account you can start testing out what your followers might like might want you can even put post photos and tell stories with with the captions and then once you've built an audience maybe you could start doing a competition and gather some emails like that and then you've got an email database emails are so important and then basically once you've kind of built this following and then you've got some A whole group of people that will actually go and buy the print magazine. Mm -hmm. I think starting a print magazine straight away is a little bit risky and maybe too expensive. And I don't even know if it's worth it to raise the money to do that because you could make more money building your own brand and you'd own more of it because you'd have more value before an investor came in to do the print magazine if you did that second.
0: It's really, I feel like it's funny you kind of talk about the print and online thing because obviously suitcase started out as a print mm-hmm. magazine and it's now kind of like swelled into this huge brand which encompasses online, like yeah. you've got really cool apps, like your website is a really great offering and it's one of the first places that I go to, like if I'm going away somewhere, like, oh, what does suitcase have to say about its destination? Mm-hmm. How have you navigated? We hear we hear so much about like the death of print. Yeah. How have you kind of navigated that sort of so called like demise of print because <laughs> that is your flagship product.
1: Um I think I think just obviously we just try to create the best product that we can. Our mm-hmm. print sales are still going up which is amazing. I think they went up like 150% from last year. Amazing. Which is great. And it, print is an interesting product. I think it, it won't ever die. It's just another format of reading things and you need to be aware of how it's changed and make sure the quality is as good as it can be.
0: I feel like that's a really key point because I feel like what is dying out is the kind of like cheap and not particularly... Like the thing I like about Suitcase Magazine is I actually keep those magazines after I finish reading them. Whereas like I think with a lot of the like cheaper kind of glossies, I'm like, okay, the second I'm done, I'm like, I'll leave this. I'll give it to a friend. I'll like leave on the tube, like whatever. I'll just get rid of it. Whereas because you've kind of created something that I think is a bit of like an artifact like you actually want to keep. It's really quality. Yeah. Like the the paper quality, all of that stuff. And that's why it's good to
1: have when I say it to people starting now to, to have this loyal audience before they start a print it's nice because then you can have a subscriber base mm. and having a subscriber based business model for a print magazine is really safe I'll touch one it yeah. <laughs> it's one of the safest <laughs> business models that you can have rather than necessarily just sticking it out on the newsstand and hoping as many people buy it as possible yeah um and then who knows in the future there might be a print on, really good print on demand so mm. that you won't even need to print so many in advance yeah and yeah. that would just be amazing
0: and how like how far into the suitcase journey like how many issues in were you before you introduced like a subscription service or oh well we actually only in
1: introduced it no uh we did it through a third party for ages mm-hmm. um but it was only really from last year that we started focusing on it from our our own website okay i think because again it, is getting easier and easier to and um, cheaper and more accessible. Before, if you wanted to do e-commerce, my God, it was so complicated. Yeah. But now you can have, we use WordPress and you can just use like a nice little WordPress plugin and it's so easy to do.
0: Yeah, I feel like technology has made things like that so much more democratic and yeah. so easy. Like, I, I like live and die by Squarespace. Please sponsor me. <laughs> um, but I, um, but like when I was kind of starting out with Women Who, like when I self-published my original little black book, I sold it and distributed it myself through Squarespace and it was so easy and I feel like that's something that maybe like five or five years ago wouldn't have been as easy and I'm always really, I always really encourage people so you can just go out and do things yourself. Like I know so many friends who run like small businesses and like e-commerce platforms Mm. themselves through like WordPress or through Squarespace so I think that's really, really cool. Um, Something that I kind of want to ask you about because like I say, you started out with a print magazine Mm -hmm. and I feel like over time Suitcase has more from being just that travel magazine into a whole travel brand. Like, I know you have, like, an agency now that works with clients to do mm-hmm. content and marketing. Like, can you just tell me a bit more about that evolution, how that came about? Yeah,
1: well, it's quite interesting, actually, because when I started the, the print magazine, I knew that I really wanted to, to create really good travel content. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, doing it in the form of a magazine made the most sense. But then I... Actually, found that actually it's really interesting because I spoke to um, someone who told me that this guy called Nari Singh, who's one of he's on the leadership council of Accenture, mm-hmm. and he was saying that for small businesses, he thinks it's crazy if they have a business plan that's longer than two years because one of the key things is to be really flexible. Okay. So I took that key vision point of wanting to create really good travel content, and then as I developed, we saw that not only did it make more sense to not just be print, but for it to be digital? It also made sense for us to create that content for our clients because there was a demand for it there.
0: Yeah,
1: And then having some kind of vision, but not being too rigid about it was really important because that meant that when it, the opportunity arose to create an agency, I wasn't like, oh my God, no, that's a different company. Yeah. I just said, you know, I'm going to go and yeah. go ahead and try this out. I
0: think that's something that's really good about you because I feel like, you know, you and I have conversations maybe more behind the scenes when it's like, oh, you're planning on doing something new. And, and I find yeah. it really cool how you just like, you'll switch and you'll be like, actually, you know what, this isn't working. Maybe I won't concentrate on this for now. And that like flexibility of mindset is something yeah. that I think is really, really important. Um, actually, speaking of flexibility, you started out as editor-in-chief mm-hmm. of Suitcase, and now... You're the CEO. Yeah. Which are two very different roles. <laughs> Why, like, how did that happen? Why did you decide to step down as <laughs> it and step
1: up as CEO? I think uh when you're in the when you're starting a company, obviously you're doing everything. So no one's you have a role, but then you're kind of not really just doing what you're supposed to be doing. And after a couple of years, when I had a slightly bigger team, I was realizing that Yes, I loved creating the content and that still will probably always be my favorite bit of the whole business. But I added most value when I was concentrating on the business side of things and business development and then also so coming up with new ideas and empowering the team. So it was it was a hard decision because you know, I was stepping away from something that I felt very passionate about to something that was like the right thing to do. Yeah. But now I found that I actually really enjoy going through excel spreadsheets oh and looking God. at the business plan <laughs> and doing the cash flow especially when things are going well like it just feels really good and it feels really good to be able to step back when you take when you take a step back especially as a, an executive in any company you kind of allow your team to step up and you really empower them to do things and if i'm there doing everything in the day to day there's no way that they can ever really progress um and you also give them the opportunity and I think that was really great. And it, my team really, really did that.
0: Where did you, where did you, because like, now you're a CEO and that's obviously a much more kind of business focused role. Where did yeah. you learn your business skills from? Like, do you have like any mentors or like, how, how did you pick that up?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, um, how did I learn my business skills? I think, I guess I've asked some of my friends. I asked my father, he's very business savvy and then I found through one of these kind of entrepreneurial groups a mm-hmm. financial advisor who's amazing who works with a lot of startups and she came in uh, and helped me restructure some of my financial plans which oh, really? was really really helpful I think okay. these these groups like the kind of communities that you're creating with mm-hmm. women who um, and other entrepreneurial groups are actually really really useful because you're in, in a group with a lot of people who are in the same stage in their career as you. Mm. So you don't need to be afraid of asking them for yeah. help.
0: I feel like there's quite like an, I mean, obviously the internet is part of it, but I feel like with communities like women who, but also others, there's kind of like an open source kind of attitude to information where everyone's kind exactly. of sharing their tips and resources. And like, this one's
1: like... just like an email community. Yeah. We meet yeah, up cool. maybe like once a year, but every time someone needs help with something, they just send an email around and whoever can help just emails back I'm gonna join this email yeah. community <laughs> <laughs>
0: um okay so and like moving into the kind of like day-to-day mm-hmm. of your role like, I want to kind of pick into the like nitty-gritty I'm always really curious as to how the people structure the days like how like what does an average okay maybe not an average day but like what does like an average week look like for, for you
1: um in terms of what I'm doing I'm mainly I'm doing a lot of I'm coming up with a lot of new business ideas mm-hmm. and business developments in terms of getting new clients for the media agency, mm-hmm. um, and then also for the magazine. We're trying to increase our readership as much as possible because the travel market is just growing and growing and growing. It employs ten percent, one one in ten, one in 10 jobs that are related to the tourism wow. industry in the How world. So help. it's just enormous, and there's so much potential there. Mm. So I'm just I'm really looking at you know all these travel reports and looking at our competitors and seeing what they're doing and saying, hey, how can we do that better? And then a lot of my time spent in meetings with clients and keeping them happy. I can imagine. (laughs) But (laughs) how do you, like,
0: how do you stay organised then? Because you, I don't know, you do so many different things. Mm -hmm. Something I want to talk about, tangent slightly, is you do a lot of what I guess we'll call philanthropic work through a suitcase and kind of also on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell me a bit about that? Like, why do you do, not why do you do that, because... But, like, how did you kind of have... That? I feel like that, when I think about you, that's such a core part of what I think of as your activity, like yeah. the stuff you've done with Cook for Syria. It's really interesting,
1: actually. I wish that I'd built into my business plan when I started something that was philanthropic, but it wasn't really something that was done at the time. Like, the social mm. businesses, were, it wasn't something that, like, I really thought about. Mm. And it was something that was done, like, later when you're really successful. So yeah. I always knew that was what I wanted to do when I got really successful, yeah. whatever that meant. But then... Um, I do a lot of work with UNICEF and I was just thinking, you know, the Syrian crisis was getting worse and worse. And I felt like, I felt paralyzed for ages. I didn't know what to do Mm. um, because it was just so big. Mm. And I thought I need to do something. So I approached Clark and my boy who's a foodie Instagrammer Mm -hmm. uh, who has a big following in the UK and just to see if he'd host the dinner. And I know him through suitcase and he, was really positive and he said of course i'll do that why but why don't we do something big and we basically started brainstorming and came up with this whole cook for syria campaign which was uh was still it's is it's still phenomenal. going yeah <laughs> it was so incredible in yeah, and we've raised hundreds of thousands of pounds now so for good. UNICEF, and it's just fantastic that's amazing um but it's okay so you're wearing all these different hats mm-hmm. you're
0: the ceo you occasionally still write for yeah, still occasionally, case. right? Mm-hmm. You travel a lot. I yeah. know that. It's always in your, like, I feel like half the times I email you, it's like an auto-reply. It's like, I'm
1: out of the country right now. I know, I stopped um, doing that auto-replies really? now because I find them annoying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's really funny. Um, um, how do you stay organised? Like, how do you structure your time?
1: How do you stay productive? I think... I wouldn't be where I was <laughs> without Google Calendars and notes. Really? It's just really the basic tools, but no, I just every time I think of something I just jot it down my notes, on my phone. It's like I'm an insane. extension of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> the download your and, brain. Then, and then um the Google Calendar is really important and okay.
0: useful. And what's the like in terms of your job, what's or your various jobs almost,
1: what's the most challenging aspect of what you do? I think the most challenging aspect must be creating a vision that my readers and my team can buy into and like How many people are, are there on the team? So we're about twelve oh, full time and then we have quite a lot of people that come in for long contract work for the media agency as well. So we're often about eighteen people in the office. Okay.
0: And what would you say what do you think people would find to be the like most surprising aspect of what you do?
1: Uh, I think for my team it would be that a lot of them don't travel that much.
0: Really <laughs> not very glamorous I'm <laughs> getting, people are always asking me it's like oh do you know suitcase are hiring and I'm like it's not just travel and like, oh. <laughs> there's a lot of work involved yeah. um okay it's interesting um and what uh something I want to know about because obviously there's a the business side of what you do what are the key I guess money or finance lessons that you've learned
1: I think uh one of them is not to lie to yourself because you can be In running a business you can be running a business and you could be getting loads of really good press, and everyone could be talking about what you're doing, and it and it you can get caught up in that and be like, oh, I'm doing so well, and Ain't you kind of the truth. You can, <laughs> and then you can kind of forget about the hard reality of what your numbers look like, and mm-hmm. then you can look at them and be like, oh my god, what have I done? Like, I'm not. I need to work really hard to make sure that next next month works out. So just to keep grounded and be realistic, and then make sure that you have logged everything properly. I think in my first year, I didn't even save the receipts properly or anything like that. And it's just a nightmare when it came down to doing all the accounting. Yeah, yeah.
0: As we spoke, it dawned on me just how much Serena actually does. In between managing a team and leading a growing business, she also manages to make time for some pretty substantial charity work, as you heard. And all the organisational and promotional work that that involves. When you're self-employed it can be really difficult to switch off from work and I know from first-hand experience how easy it is for your work to start dominating your entire life, which is pretty unhealthy. What I wanted to know was how does she maintain a sense of balance?
1: Yeah, I think it's very important now that I employ more people to set a good example on how work I do versus how I switch off, okay. as well as how I switch off. I think when you're starting a business, you do need to put in hours. Like, mm. You're not going to take over the world in a nine, doing a nine-to-five, yeah. probably. Yeah, I, no, no, no. I uh, but then after, you, there are a few key things that you need to just make sure that you're doing, like getting enough sleep, mm-hmm. Um I try and eat three meals a day and you didn't eat breakfast today. That's very naughty. <laughs> I admitted
0: before recording that I hadn't had breakfast and Serena scolded me. <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> uh,
1: and then, um, what else? I do a lot of yoga as well. I think yeah. yoga is really good because. I find it hard to actually sit down and meditate. Meditating is supposed to be incredible, but mm-hmm. like, you know, I have so many things going on in my head that realistically it's really hard to just sit and like clear my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. I downloaded Headspace and I've tried to use that a lot. But yeah, me too. Really I try to distracted. use it on the way here.
1: <laughs> <Me>? <laughs> and then it was like five minutes in, I was like, oh no, another five minutes to go. I think there's something about the fact that it's on your phone. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, that's never going to work. But doing yoga me. or some kind of sport is really good because it, man- it does shut your brain down. And then you suddenly realise after half an hour you haven't thought about anything about except for how hard that pose was or how tired you were from running. or um, And it's good to give yourself a mental break. Okay. Um, and something I want to talk to you about is
0: you, I've observed this, you have what I would say is really strong female network around you like mm-hmm. I've noticed this and you know I feel like sometimes I'll text you or we'll be talking about someone you'll be like oh yeah I know them do you want me to introduce you and I'm like how does Serena <laughs> know everyone both male and female um has that always been the case or how has that come about like, have you always had this really strong network around you no
1: I haven't always had it around me I think when you're doing something and people like what you're doing mm-hmm. they kind of gravitate towards you mm-hmm. and I've gravitated towards people doing similar things I met some of my really good friends like melissa Hemsley, at events and she actually helped loads with cook for syria yeah no, and we came closer together um closer because of that i think i think having a strong network around you is really good i don't mine is actually mixed mine's male and female Yeah. but then obviously it's important to have the females
0: so you travel a lot that's kind of the nature of suitcase and but you grew up in london obviously and you studied mm-hmm. in the u.s how do you feel like Living in London or being primarily based in London kind of influences the way you approach your work or your kind of mindset, Mm -hmm. if at all?
1: I think London's a great city because it's so dynamic and international. Mm -hmm. Living in New York actually affected my mindset more because it's such a, it's quite an aggressive, ambitious, can do city. Yeah. So there's always time to do whatever you want to do and everyone's got their dream. So that made me really think about what I wanted to do. And then when I came back here, I took that approach but to turn it down a notch because in in London I think people are go-getting and quite maybe even more creative Mm -hmm. um, but then they actually are not so intense and they'll take time off. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like New York is
0: very, very intense. Yeah, it's not necessarily very healthy. No, I I don't think it is. I feel like it's, like you say, it's quite like an aggressive, and I I mean, kind of credit to them because I do feel like there are so many interesting Trends and scenes that always spring up in New York, um, but that kind of British mentality of being a bit like okay, chilled, or like we'll go to the pub. Like when I, whenever I've had when I was working kind of full time, whenever I had like American colleagues who just moved over, they'd always be like, I love this like pub culture of like going to the pub after work, and they were like, (laughs) we would just work till like. 10 and then go home and sleep that's like that is (laughs) so depressing um but no okay that's interesting and just to kind of I kind of want to dig into I guess your outlook to work a little bit more like Mm -hmm. what what do you define success like what is success to you how would you
1: define that I don't think I've defined it properly I mean do you feel successful no no way no way I think I've still got a long way to go okay I always joke that, because I love micro scooters, that success for me success of me would be able to go around in a micro scooter and no one would laugh at me because I was so successful <laughs> What I did. I would
0: laugh at you. You could literally be the president of the United States on a micro scooter and I would still laugh at you, just FYI. Sorry to
1: kill that dream. But um. I think, I think, I guess the success for me is having a profitable business uh-huh. that's also helping a lot as many people as possible travel and having a, a positive impact on as many people as possible but then the level of success like I don't have so, kind of a, a vision in mind of where I really need to get to and I, I'm just trying to enjoy the journey
0: do you have like a bucket list of like a I don't know I feel like you've crossed off so many things that would be my bucket list would be on so many people's but do you have mm-hmm. like a bucket list of things that like oh no you want to achieve by the time you're like 30 or 40 or just not even age dependent just a bucket list
1: I suppose it's just becoming the leading travel source for people. Okay. Whatever that means. You're well so, on your way. So, yeah. You're <laughs> my leading travel
0: source. So that's something. Yes. Um, and just, you know, to talk like, I feel like you have so many important lessons. I feel like I've learned so much from you. I always really enjoy spending time with you because I'm like, oh, it's going to feeling really energized, motivated. Like, what advice would you give to other people you know men or women who want to follow in your footsteps
1: and have the same kind of career as you start their own business mm-hmm. uh well i i think first of all to to remember that you don't need to start your own business to be really successful okay it, it's not, That's not really for important. everyone no 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 and then the the next thing is what i actually said in your book uh, which is to know for my book by the way guys serena is a contributor yeah. to my book you can buy it on amazon five pounds <laughs> Sorry, um is to to know yourself and to know what kind of value you would add to a business so what are your weaknesses and what are your strengths and what when the business grows where should you be positioned are you more creative are you more business savvy are you more operational? To, to be really truthful with yourself.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's a really important p- point, actually. Like, honesty about your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Which, because, like you say, I think there's... It's a really funny thing. Like I think we live in an age where there's this, like, culture of, like, hashtag girlboss, hashtag hustle, where people... And I, I feel like maybe I'm sometimes guilty of playing into it, but people assume that the only way to be successful is to, I don't know, start your own business or work for yourself, which isn't for everyone. Yeah. That you can be successful within a company structure and contribute so much more as part of that in a way that you might not be able to do on your own um but also the kind of like like glory aspect of it where people aren't necessarily honest about what they're good at so maybe you're not best suited to run a business because you don't you can't deal with like pressure that well Mm -hmm. but when you have like a team around you you're much better at handling it and things like that Yeah, you need to
1: have a really high threshold for stress would you Absolutely. say that has your threshold gotten higher as it's time gone has gone so high now i think that now like i just nothing can stress oh, me that's amazing
0: um and just to kind of wrap up what are you what are you working on at the moment like
1: what's next for suitcase and next for serena anything interesting on the horizon so next for suitcase we're just doing as much as we can to keep our our sales and things growing mm-hmm. um to make our content as good as possible, we are we've got some really exciting digital plans. I can't actually tell you anything. No, that's I'm next. Just, okay. <laughs> we'll see it when it happens. <laughs> then. Yeah, so you'll see it. Um, a good. lot there'll be a lot of changes in our Christmas edition of Suitcase. Oh, really? Okay, uh, I which will be great. So, so everyone go by that?
0: <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, I want to round off with a few very quick questions, a rapid fire round, if you will. So, don't think about these answers too much. Just say the first thing that comes into your head. First up, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would have been your plan B?
1: Well, originally I wanted to be a doctor. Really? Yeah, so quite different. And then now I'm very interested in natural health and okay. like healing and kind of general wellness. How far down the
0: road did you go with the doctor thing? Like, oh, Not so just, that far. Okay. Well,
1: I did, I did science A-levels and then I interned in a hospital.
0: That's amazing. I didn't
1: know that. Um, are you an early bird or a night owl? Night Owl trying to become an early bird. (laughs) (laughs) I am not a morning person. (laughs) It
0: really kills me. Um, What's the last
1: book you read? It was Think Tank Pink.
0: Think Tank Pink? Mm -hmm. I haven't heard of that. What is that?
1: It's so good, actually. It's it's a psychology book. and think tank pink is basically in the 80s they discover this special shade of pink which is actually the same color as your book really and it, the effect that it has on people it has a calming effect oh I've so they started kind of painting uh the like special rooms in prisons in pink classrooms in pink pink they basically it basically swept across america
0: millennial pink yeah what was millennial pink yeah. i feel i feel like i've heard something about like kendall jenner Painting her bedroom that color because it suppresses appetite, but I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, you didn't, you didn't hear that from me. Yeah. So, um, I I what's that. your worst working habit?
1: To do lists are too long. Okay. What? How would you describe yourself in three words? Oh, that's always so hard. Re- uh, reliable, enthusiastic, and driven yes i definitely agree with those um how are the people you work with
0: describe you in three words
1: oh no maybe you need to ask them <laughs> i, I, wonder like I you so much trouble with whatever i say um apparently they think i'm very zen which okay. i find surprising zen excitable and determined okay that's good um and how would you this is quite a morbid
0: question i guess how would you like to be remembered that's so hard
1: I'd like to be remembered for doing having an impact on the travel industry mm-hmm. and ideally changing something so changing how people think about something um, and then for having some kind of positive impact on something so I'm looking a lot into what we can do with suitcase whether that's ocean conservation or something to do with the environment
0: that's so cool. um and finally where can people find you and your work where can people
1: follow you any social handles okay so uh, our instagram is mm-hmm. at suitcase mag we'll keep you daydreaming while you're at work <laughs> <laughs> and then suitcasemag.com, uh, our website, where you can we updated daily with content and you can buy our magazine on there too
0: amazing brilliant well thank you very much for joining me serena thank it's been you. a pleasure to talk to you um see you soon Okay, now it's time for Ask Otega, which is a regular segment that I'm going to have in each episode where I'll be playing career agony aunt, So answering your career conundrums and giving advice on how to navigate tricky work related situations. The first letter is from a freelancer who's having trouble getting paid, which is an issue I think pretty much every freelancer out there will have to deal with at some point. Dear Otega, I went freelance about six months ago and I've had problems with a few clients when it comes to actually paying me for my work but also due to them asking me to do a lot for free. As I'm still new to the game, I sometimes find it hard to push back on that as I have a slight case of imposter syndrome and feel grateful that they even paid me. A lot of my clients are young startup men and sometimes I can't help but feel they take advantage of my being a woman and ask me to do stuff for free that they wouldn't ask of the male freelancers they work with. They're constantly asking to meet me for advice, but that's my time and I believe I ought to be charging for that. What's your advice for a situation like this? Thanks. Oh, that is um, the story of, I think a lot of freelancers lives having trouble getting paid, which is really, really unfortunate. I think a lot of people don't realize that the free and freelancer does not mean free work. Um, but that's a whole other topic. I think, dear freelancer, you have two problems here. One is quite a technical problem, which I think you can solve quite easily. Um, so I'm going to talk you through that first. I don't know how your contracts are drawn up or how you kind of interact with your clients but the really really key thing that I always do when I'm because I obviously freelance and when I'm working with clients especially with new clients is drawing up and establishing a really really clear scope of work right from the outset and for anyone who doesn't know what that means that basically just means outlining what is and isn't included in your fee Breaking that down really, really clearly, saying X, Y, Z deliverables or X amount of time. If you're charging on a day rate, you know, say this is my day rate and you're paying for four days of my time or something like that, which can be really, really useful. Really clearly outline what they're not entitled to. So in this case, it might be extra advice that involves you, I don't know, traveling across town to meet them and chatting for a couple of hours. And it's not to say that you're not happy to provide those services, it's just that they'd have to pay more so really really clearly outline that also make it clear that any additional out of scope work will be charged extra and at what rate you know as you're coming to a close with the kind of let's say they've paid you i don't know like 500 pounds to do something let's say they've essentially incurred 400 pounds or 450 pounds worth of expenses or of time as it's coming to a close and they're asking for more kind of flag up with them really really clearly and say that okay you know you've essentially used up the scope of work that we'd agreed and let them know that if they want you to do any extra work that's going to need to be charged extra because they also don't necessarily know you kind of need to communicate that clearly and ensure they don't get a nasty surprise um also something i think you probably need to do is be a bit clearer on what counts as finished like what are the terms allow you to request final payment from them? What, at what stage is the project concluded? At what point can you send them an invoice? What, instead of them dragging out on and on, in this case, you know, asking you to come by and give them advice. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that stuff, but like you say, you should be paid for it. Um, In terms of them not paying you, that's super irritating and really bad form. Maybe consider, this is something again that I do, is again with new clients is getting an upfront payment of 50% of your fee which is very very common and if anyone tries to tell you that it's not don't listen to them and be suspicious because if you're going to incur all this time this project I mean on one hand it's kind of like a cash flow and liquidity thing like a lot of us can't wait until a project that maybe takes six months concludes to finally get paid our fee like you need to pay your bills in the meantime and them paying you upfront 50% is kind of a sign of good faith. And especially if you're gonna be incurring any costs on their behalf, it's just common sense. Um, so we request an upfront 50% payment. So the amount you're chasing for isn't the entire fee because that's really stressful. Make sure you have really clear timelines and deadlines so that you know, okay, at the end of August or at the end of September, I can then say, right, we're supposed to conclude the project. You know, How much longer is this gonna take? Just really, really clearly manage the timings and the fee, the sort of payment schedule also include a late payment clause on your invoices if you don't know what that is it's and it's something that you're entitled to do by law It's essentially a clause on your invoice that states that if your client doesn't pay you by a certain date whatever the date is that you've agreed they will start to incur fees which i think the last i checked you'll need to check properly on the hmrc website but i think it's about two percent or whatever the interest rate is and you're entitled to re-invoice them for an additional amount it's essentially a penalty for them paying you late, because if you think about it, that money is sitting in their bank account earning them interest when it could be sitting in your bank account earning you interest. And that is something that's actually written into the law. So, you know, again, I find that if you send a reminder and you're like, hey, this is now overdue, and on this date, I'm gonna have to re-invoice you for an additional amount due to the late payment, that tends to kind of hurry people up a little bit. So on the practical side of things, I think that is how you should handle that. And I hope that helps you on the kind of more psychological side of things i with you're talking about imposter syndrome something that i really relate to and i think a lot of women um relate to i think you need it's easier said than done but you need a bit of an attitude change i think the tone of your letter and you in fact you've explicitly said that you feel a bit grateful to be paid i guarantee you if you're feeling grateful you're probably unconsciously conveying that to your clients, which is encouraging them encouraging them to take the piss. So first of all, you need to remember and remind yourself of your own worth. There's a reason they've hired you, the reason that they should be paying you, you know, you've got skills that they don't have and therefore they've decided to hire you. So stop telling yourself that they're doing you they're not doing you a favor by paying you. It's a financial transaction. You do the work, you get the money, that is just what it is. So you really need to try and just kind of knock that um Just not that idea out of your head and try and be a little bit more confident how you deal with them, because if you give an inch, it will probably take a mile. Um, It's trickier in your particular case to establish, I think, boundaries with existing clients. In this particular instance, I would say next, you know, for any of your existing clients next time they ask for a meeting that is probably going to take up time, but you're essentially not being paid for. Just kind of say, drop them an email, call them on the phone, say, look, I'm happy to meet and discuss further or offer further guidance on whatever it is they want to know about. However, that does mean that I'm spending more time on this project than is realistically warranted by the existing fee that we've agreed. You know, that's out of scope. If you want that level of involvement, we'll need to discuss revising the project fee accordingly and let me know. You know, it's totally non-accusatory, super friendly and polite, but it's just stating the facts, which is this is not, you haven't paid for this, you haven't paid for my time. And if you want more of my time, you're going to need to pay for that. And again, you won't be the first person to send that kind of email. Um, So don't feel like it's a really big deal because people send and receive those sorts of emails every day. It's, you know, you're doing them a favor as well by establishing these clear boundaries and letting them know what is and isn't included with their fee. So my advice would be just in summary, establish really clear scopes of work when you start a project and communicate as the project is going on, where your clients are tracking with their time and how the project is doing, late invoice clauses, um, late payment in- clauses on all of your invoices, and a bit of an attitude change. You are worth it. So yeah, I hope that helps and let me know how you get on. For the next letter, I actually decided to get Serena, who you just heard from, involved. Given her experience building and managing teams, I thought she'd be a really good person to hear from given that this next issue is about how to navigate a tricky team dynamic. Dear Otega, I started a job about a year and a half ago, and when I first got here, I had a great deal of autonomy and creative freedom in my role, which I shared with two other people in a similar role. About three months ago, someone on the team who had been on maternity leave and who isn't our direct line manager came back, and she has since started taking projects away from all of us under the guise of managing the workload. What was once a very transparent and enjoyable working environment has become one where we now never know who is working on what project and we're drip-fed information as and when. We've all tried to speak to our boss, but she won't take any criticism of the new system. We are also now all being given the most basic projects and any work we create gets ripped apart to shreds with non-constructive feedback. I've tried to speak to the person in question, I've tried to speak to my boss... I've even tried to speak to my boss's boss and it's been mostly to no avail. What's the best course of action for me? I really love my team. I don't want to have to leave, but sometimes it feels like there's no other solution. Ooh, that is so... <laughs> Wouldn't want to be in your position. No, I know. I've, I feel like I've been in a similarish position, but not as bad as that. Mm. Um, and I also feel like she's kind of started off on the right foot in terms of trying to address it head on. But mm. um, I don't know. What, like... I'm quite intrigued as to how your ICU is like a boss, like a manager mm-hmm. of people. Like what would you say that she should do well, in this situation? I would
1: the first thing I would ask is how what did she say when she spoke to the, to her boss? Did she make it clear that how bad it was that mm. she would actually that she would maybe even leave because mm. her boss might have no idea and mm. might just think, "Oh, you know, it'll just leave her and she's she'll just get on with things." Mm. But if her boss actually thought She might leave, then she might take a stronger course of action because Mm. that's quite serious, especially if other members of the team, considering leaving, I doubt the boss, her boss would want everyone to leave just because of this one person. This bad apple, it's like painting. It's so
0: important to have like the right personnel and like it's so. I agree. It's like having one person who's got the wrong attitude can just like, it can cause people to. I know, and it can
1: be hard though because that person could be very good at what they do, Mm. but then it's them versus an entire team. And then if the situation really isn't getting any better and her boss knows that she might leave but isn't doing anything about it, then to ask herself, honestly, is the grass really greener somewhere else? Would she have more creative freedom and a better time working somewhere else? And what other opportunities are there out there? Mm. Because if there's not, then maybe it's not worth actually leaving. But if if there is, then it's maybe worth exploring. Yeah. I feel like picking up
0: on something that you said, about how clear and how explicit she's been just the tone of the letter I wonder whether she's slightly and it's a really difficult topic to broach Mm. and just generally like flagging issues in the workplace Mm. something that um, I did a lot when I was in (laughs) full-time employment and I think I definitely got better at but it's it's hard to do um, especially if you're kind of just starting out I mean I feel like she maybe has a bit of um, leverage in the fact that there are two other people who are probably feeling, it sounds like yeah, they're feeling well, that's the why same way. I was way. going to say
1: actually, it was, do, do they feel the same way? And if so, maybe they could all speak to the boss together yeah. because I don't, wouldn't, I don't want it to be like, them all up. gang ganging no, up. No, but I mean, I, but I, if they I, honestly are all feeling that way, then there must be something wrong.
0: Yeah. I feel like the first, my approach to dealing with tricky people was always to, um, broach it with them first before escalating it. And I think I know she's kind of said she's spoken to everyone involved, but I think kind of going with a clear idea, I wonder whether she should I wish I had a name for this girl. Let's call her Jane. Me too. Um Jane. <laughs> <Still rude. laughs> should, yeah, exactly. I feel like Jane should um maybe start off by scheduling a meeting with the problem lady in question and with the two colleagues and not necessarily broach it as a like, we're having issues with you, but just kind of put the issue onto like discussing how we divide up work. So say Mm. that, you know, it's disruptive to workflow to have like projects kind of taken out from under you. It's also slightly demoralizing. It makes it hard to like keep up what's going on. And I feel like if you just kind of maybe played kind of dumb, be like, let's suggest like a system for dividing up workload. Is it like we're meeting up at the start of every week and like assigning Mm. projects, you do X, I do Y. And then if she's like, no, I don't agree with that, then it's like, okay, well, why don't you suggest what you think would work but you mean just to kind of have a discussion that isn't about oh we're having issues with the way you work because yeah that that would definitely be the best
1: first option yeah to kind of start that because then if also if the boss then speaks to this girl yeah then she might end up getting really angry and then again the team dynamic is just going to be really so sour yeah
0: like i feel like at all costs you kind of have to avoid even though she's you know obviously an issue but you have to avoid like antagonizing her mm. even more because she's clearly easily I don't know she's not a team player um and I think then if at that point she kind of tries to poach work then you kind of can say being like oh hey like we'd agreed the system yeah and and if that doesn't work you know if she doesn't want to agree to a system I think that's the point at which you can kind of escalate it to mm-hmm. the boss and I mean it's kind of up to you Jane um whether you want to like present it as like this problem of like oh like it's bothering me or just to, again, I think if you kind of phrase in that it's disrupting work, like we're not getting stuff done, it's unproductive mm. and we need a system which everyone kind of signs up to, then it's harder to argue with that. If And, and you can't deviate from it either, but yeah. it's harder to argue if someone deviates. So I think, yeah, I also do think what I would also advise, and maybe this is a bit sneaky, but I would advise you to talk to the other two people and encourage them to also separately go to i know your your boss if you had three people in one week come to you about a certain yeah employee, I've had that you have to past. pay attention. yeah definitely yeah. i've had that in the past and yeah
1: because if it's one you don't know if there's something personal going on yeah. but if it's more than one it's definitely something else
0: if you're saying the same thing so exactly. get your story straight <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that's kind of that's how i would handle that situation um i hope that helps and yeah, please do feel free to get back in touch and let me know whether that let works out. Let us know out. how it works out. Yeah, whether that works out because that's a really shitty situation and I feel bad for you. That's all for this episode segment of Ask a If you've got a career dilemma that you're wrestling with and that you'd like my opinion on, you can submit it via the Women Who website or email podcast at co. And finally, it's time for the In Good Company book club which is basically just me sharing the books and the occasional article that I've been reading recently. Things that I found particularly interesting or informative and that I think that you guys might like. First up, one of the most fascinating books I've read this year, which is called Inferior, How Science Got Women Wrong. It's by Dr. Angela Siney, who is a science journalist and broadcaster. And she's published this incredible book, which essentially is dispelling commonly held gender stereotypes and a lot of the myths around perceptions of gender and what it is that men are good at and women are good at. And it's essentially making the argument that for too long, science, it's been ingrained in science that women are the inferior sex, hence the name of the book. And actually it presents a really clear, logical kind of dismissal of all the essentially bad science that over the centuries, right from Darwin... Turns out Darwin was a huge sexist misogynist, which is really such a shame, that um, has trickled down into you know modern science and then out into society and cultural norms to make people believe that you know women are inherently inferior. You only have to look at that ridiculous Google scandal a couple of weeks ago where one of their engineers, I think it was, um, circulated a memo essentially arguing against diversity because apparently you know, men just are better at some things than women, which is just totally false. So in theory, is a really well researched, really robust argument about that. Um, I don't have a head for science. I really did not like science at school. I wasn't very good at it. So I was a bit unsure about reading this book. But it's actually written in such an accessible, approachable way. Even if you don't, you don't need to be like a science nerd to enjoy it or to get something out of it. It actually left me feeling pretty angry because in many ways, women are the superior sex um, biologically and it just kind of showed the extent to which um society has just really done us a disservice in making us the kind of second-class citizen. It also actually something that's really good about it is it's made me question my own sort of assumptions and the generalizations I myself would make in conversations. So I think it wasn't unusual for me to be like, oh, women are better at this kind of thing, or women are more emotionally intelligent at that kind of thing. Um, and actually just questioning those assumptions and it's made me less likely to make those broad generalizations about what women are equipped to do, what men are equipped to do, because often you can find an argument for or against any kind, any one of those arguments. So it's a really, really great read. It's um, out now, published by Fourth Estate, who also my publisher, um, and I highly recommend that you get it. Uh, the other thing that I've been reading recently is a, do you know this is this book was first published i think it was 30 years ago or something like that and it's now been republished as a kind of little mini is the beauty myth by naomi wolf so i'm sure lots of you have probably already read this and i feel slightly embarrassed that it's taken me this long to get round to reading what is such a classic feminist text but i'm so glad that i did um i also am cheating slightly because i'm reading um a vintage Classic kind of re-edition, which is like an abridged version, so it's very short. I think I read it in a couple of train journeys, um, and it's really super accessible. Again, I think that you know it's easy to get put off and think that these sorts of feminist texts are really kind of dry and boring, but this is really interesting. In it, Naomi Wolf essentially discusses the ways in which society has forced women to conform to really narrow um, ideals of beauty and how that's holding women back. In society so it covers everything from women in the workplace to culture and you know the beauty myth that's um sort of put out there by magazines and popular culture it's really, really interesting it's really made me kind of reevaluate the way I approach beauty or my personal presentation I would confess that I like to sort of I like dressing up I like makeup I like fashion um but I guess it's made me question more why I do that in the scenarios in which I think it's really necessary to BC be super dressed up. I remember a couple of months ago, I went for breakfast with a friend, and I was in a rush. Forgot to put makeup on. You know, had the whole meeting. It was a breakfast meeting, and afterwards, I realised I looked in the mirror. I realised I wasn't wearing makeup, and for some reason, I felt really embarrassed, and I almost wanted to text her and apologise because I felt like it was a sign of rudeness that I hadn't bothered to put in the effort, which is an absolutely ridiculous thing. But I think it's been so kind of drummed into us as women that we need to look a certain way that and in order to even to be professionally successful i think um that was just kind of a real wake-up call for me so yeah that is the other thing that i'm reading this week please do feel free to tweet me at women who let me know what you're reading i'm always looking for new additions to add to my already overloaded bookshelves and i'll be back next time with more interesting recommendations That's it for today. Thank you for listening to In Good Company on NTS. I hope you picked up at least a couple of new ideas to help you work better. For more where that came from, follow me at Otega Uagaba. That's O-T-E-G-H-A-U-W-A-G-B-A. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and follow Women Who at Women Who or head to www.womenwho.co where there is lots of interesting content and ideas to help you take control of your working life. Sharing is caring, so if you enjoy this episode, make sure you tell all of the working women in your life. See you next time.